0: Thank you for listening to the Grace Church Podcast, where you can find teachings, Bible studies, and words of encouragement for any season. For more resources, you can go to graceorlando.com. So anyways, um, what we called this message that we were teaching at the youth was called Holy, Holy, right? Right. Um, How many of you guys remember Jurassic Park? Have you guys ever seen Jurassic Park the movie, right? Like that was a pretty good movie. I really think that they should come to an end with Jurassic Park at some point. (laughs) It seems like they're still going with these blockbuster hits and I'm just like, I think that we did really good on the first one and we should stop. I don't really know where they're going with it but uh, obviously they're still making money and uh, it's going well for them. But I, I stopped watching them after like number two or three. What I loved about the first one was that uh, it, it kind of brought a fascination with uh, dinosaurs and, and discovery, and that's something that I love is discovering things. And I don't know about you guys, but my eyes, whenever I'm walking, I'm always, they're always wondering. Like, I'm always looking places, like if I go to the beach, I'm looking at shells, um, if I'm Uh, when we used to live in Arizona, there was like petroglyphs. I don't know if you guys know what those are, but they have like all the Indian ruins and all that stuff, and so I'm always, we were always finding things out there, Um, but when I was 15, uh, I was walking down a dirt road, and I think that they had like kind of tilled up the road to kind of get rid of the bumps. You guys ever know when they do that, Um, and as I was walking, I saw a a type of rock, like a bone-looking thing, and I picked it up, and as I was looking at it, I realized, I'm like, this bone kinda looks fossilized. You know, it kinda looked a little bit different than just a normal bone. Um, And so, I was in ninth grade at the time, and one of my teachers had mentioned that she had um, a friend that was a paleontologist. And when she said it, I remember my eyes lit up, and I thought, maybe I should ask her if this guy could take a look at this fossil that I found, that I believed was a fossil. And so she said, "Yeah." So I brought it in, and uh, the paleontologist took it back uh, to wherever he works. And he, uh, so every single week, I would come in on Monday. It was the weekend. I would come in on Monday, and I would say, "Hey, like, did you find anything out about the bone that I gave your friend or whatever?" And so the teacher would respond to every single time, like, "No, um, I'm sorry, I haven't heard anything back, um, but he'll get back to us soon." And so this went on for a long time to the point where, like probably three months and I stopped asking about the fossil. I was like, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, maybe the guy took the fossil and has hit the hills and sold it and has <laughs> millions of dollars. I don't know what the deal is. Um, so about three months later, she uh, came in on a Monday we, and she goes, Matt, she goes, so uh, my friend got back to me and he believes that he found out what that bone was. And I was like, okay, well, what is it? And uh, she goes, it's a mastodon bone. And I was like, Wow, what's a mastodon, right? <laughs> I didn't know what that was. Uh, if you don't know what mastodons are, uh, they're like a smaller species of uh, the woolly mammoth, okay? The woolly mammoth is like seven tons, roughly, and the mastodons, three to five tons, much smaller, um, <laughs> and they had like different structures in their mouth, the teeth was their teeth were kind of weird, and their tusks were different, but very similar type of breed, and it was like supposedly... Hundreds of years later, that they came out uh, with this form of mastodon. Okay, so, anyways, um, so I thought that was awesome, but it it, uh, it kind of gave me kind of a peek into uh, scripture, right? Like if we can, if we take one scripture, so let me tell you, let me back up. Let me let me tell you, I asked the teacher. I said, "Can you tell me like what took so long? Why did it take three months for this person to get back to me?" Uh, and, and not let me know, like, what was the deal? And she goes, well, she goes, he had to take it from museum to museum to museum and compare it with other skeletons. And so till til he finally came up with what type of bone uh, that belonged to. And so that's what I would say about scripture. Sometimes if we isolate one scripture, it can be kind of confusing. Um, you know, you really have to look at the whole picture, if you will, about Scripture. Um, let me show you one of the scriptures I'm talking about. So, if you go to First Peter, 1 Peter 115, one fifteen, and we're going to read through sixteen, um, and this would be kind of the same type of uh, thing that I'm talking about, where if you isolate this scripture, it can be very, very confusing. You really do have to look at the whole picture. I'll explain. Uh, so in the NIV, it says, "But just as he who called you is holy." so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So why would Peter tell us to be holy? And not just any holy, but as holy as God. In other words, why would he give us this single fossil scripture and expect us to figure out how to be holy? Now I want to present something to you guys that's interesting. Uh, Isn't it funny how um, we can have, let me see this, well, um, we can have a holy Bible, right? We can have a holy Bible. There's holy scriptures. We serve a holy God, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many different... There's the Holy Spirit. Um, there's also something that uh, people... were tr- still trying to discover what it is, but something called a, a holy moly, right? <laughs> we're still trying to figure out what that is. But... When it comes to us, we get all weird about the word holy about ourselves, right? There's tons of songs that are written about God being holy. There's not a whole lot of songs that I know of about us being holy. Um, isn't that interesting? So, here's what I want to ask is, was Peter or God trying to torment us by saying we need to be as holy as God, Right? No, God isn't giving us a hopeless requirement. Let's, let's take a closer look at this scripture in 1 Peter. It says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Anytime you see the words, for it is written, know that the writer is using it to add emphasis or to support their argument or teaching. In the New Testament, the only writings they had at the time were the Old Testament, which I know we could get into all sorts of things where it's called the Torah and all that stuff. But the entire Bible wasn't completed until 96 A.D. with the book of Revelation. So when Peter said, for it is written, the truth is he was actually quoting from a very well-known verse in the Old Testament called Leviticus 1144. If you want to turn there, Leviticus 1144. As you're turning there, I'm going to read. In the NIV, it says, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourself and be holy because I am holy. So this was Moses way before Jesus, speaking to the Israelites from God and telling them, yes, be holy, separate yourselves. He was saying, be different than other countries around you. And that's still God's desire for his people. Ever since the fall of man with Adam, God has always wanted everyone to become holy. But and that's a big mastodon butt, okay? (laughs) The difference between Old Testament, hold on, the difference between holiness commanded in the Old Testament and what's found here in Peter in the New Testament is that God has already made us holy in Christ. He has already set us apart and saved us. So Old Testament holiness or sanctification was a command for the Israelites, God's people of the day, And New Testament holiness or sanctification is a result of what Jesus did. I'll say that again. Old Testament holiness or sanctification was a command for the Israelites or God's people of the day. New Testament holiness or sanctification is a result of what Jesus did. So when Peter and 1 Peter said, so be holy in all you do, Peter is just encouraging us to make choices to reflect who we already are. So let's read, this, let's read this verse in the uh, New American. It says, Be holy yourselves in every aspect of your conduct. Okay, the expanded version says, But be holy in all you do, your behavior, your conduct, just as God the one who called you is holy. So conduct means behavior. Behavior means conduct. You're wondering what that is. So here's a couple rhetorical questions. This is just things I want you to think about as I say them, okay? Think in your head. So does behavior or conduct define us, right? Think about that. Does behavior or conduct define us? In other words, are we defined by our behavior? Are we defined by our behavior? So, uh, and as you're thinking about that, I'm going to give you another picture. Um, how many of you guys know we got a few alligators here in Florida? Like, I like alligators. i um, but I like them in the water away from me. I like to be in a boat or somewhere where they can't get me. Um, But can an alligator go for a stroll, walk or crawl on land? Can everybody say that that might be possible, that an alligator could walk or crawl? We should know this if we're from Florida, right? Or if we lived here for a little while, they can actually go on land. I remember in eighth grade, uh, we went to go out to the playground, right? We went to go out to the playground and uh, when we were headed out there we were stopped by all our teachers um, because they said an alligator a huge 10-foot alligator was on the playground waiting for all the children to come out okay (laughs) so the answer is can an alligator get on land the answer is absolutely an alligator can get on land okay so if it's on land does it make it any less of an alligator I mean, we don't see an alligator on land and be like, look at that ostrich. (laughs) That is a crazy-looking ostrich walking on that land, flapping his wings. It's weird how he went from a really long tail to a short tail, and look at him. He's just walking all over the place. No, we don't say that. Does the alligator do much better in water? Would we say the alligator does much better in water? When your conduct doesn't seem holy... um, or I'm sorry, when your conduct doesn't seem holy, it doesn't mean you're no longer holy. I'll say that again. When your conduct or your behavior doesn't seem holy, it doesn't mean you're no longer holy. No, Peter is just saying, don't forget to allow your holiness to affect your behavior. That's all he's saying, right? In other words, we were already set apart. When we don't allow our holiness to affect our conduct, we are acting untrue to how we were designed. It is ill-fitting. I many of you guys have heard some of those scriptures of ill-fitting, right? It's kind of a weird term to say, but ill-fitting means of a garment of the wrong size or shape for the person wearing it. All right, so how many of you guys are hat people in here? Is anybody a hat person, like you like wearing hats, right? So I will tell you, I am not a hat person. I am not a hat person, and I will show you why, right? It just doesn't look right, okay? I don't care what kind of hat. Like, I've tried to get fitted hats. I've tried to get every type of hat that you can have. I do not look good. Thank you, Sal. But I do do not look good in hats, okay? To the point that my wife will say, if I'm ever putting on a hat, if you see me with a hat, feel lucky, because that's probably a real rarity. But I don't wear them. Uh, Because my wife will say, you look really stupid with that hat. I I don't know what she means by it, but she says, you look really stupid with that hat. And the question is, am I any less of Matt because I'm wearing that hat? I might be a little bit less. Some people might say I am. But really, at the end of the day, I'm still that way. I just might look a little stupid. And all Peter was saying is when you don't reflect good behavior, you look stupid. Okay? He's saying, take the bad behavior off. You would look so much better when you're not wearing something that doesn't reflect who you already are. Truth is, it's not up to us to make ourselves holy. If you think that, it's a big pile of mastodon poop. Okay? I didn't put poop on the screen like I did for the youth. I was trying to be nice to you guys. So please know that I'm aware of who I'm speaking to. All right. So... Think, um, see, think most, I think most people will agree, we, we could go to different churches all over the world, right? And I think most people would agree or have the saying that we have some type of form of holiness and that one day when we get to heaven, we will be fully holy or holy, holy, right? But to think that we are now fully or holy, holy right now seems kind of crazy, especially because we still mess up. Right. I think that's the confusion is people are like, well, we still mess up. So we're obviously not fully holy, holy. Right. So today I want to ask the question of when, when do we become holy? When are we made holy? When are we made sanctified? Holiness and sanctification mean the same thing. All right. So you might say some things are better left unsaid, Matt. I think we should just wait till we get to heaven and then we'll find out. Right. Like, wait, let's just wait. Why are we so anxious about finding out whether we're holy or not? So Susanna Dudyeva, if you can say that name properly, I don't know if I am, but I'm trying to say her name. Uh, She said the most painful questions are left unanswered. The most painful questions are left unanswered. When are we holy is a question that we can't afford to leave unanswered. You guys hear me? It's a question that we can't afford to leave unanswered. It would cause people to draw strange conclusions. Very strange conclusions, okay? Similar to when was the first car ever made, right? I mean, some people I've heard, well, that was like when the Tesla was made. That's the first real car, Matt. Or you could talk back like with the muscle cars, like people are like, that's really when the first car was made. When the muscle cars came out and the Mustangs and the Camaros and the Chevelles, right? All those cars, those were when cars were really made, right? So being we're talking about dinosaurs and mastodons, right? I'll give you a history lesson. We're gonna go through a little history lesson. Can you guys hang in with me while we're going through a history lesson? So, I think most would say that in 1913, Henry Ford made the first Model T, right? For years and years and years, I believed that. I would point out the Model T. That's the first car ever made right there, y'all. Look at that car, right? Oh my gosh, that's so interesting. But actually, the first car was invented 144 years before that, 144 years before that, okay? Uh, In in 1769, the first steam-powered automobile capable of human transportation was built by Nicholas Joseph. It was steam-powered in 1769. In 1808, Hayden Wichit designed the first car powered by an internal combustion engine that was fueled by hydrogen. Okay, in 1885, Carl Benz, you guys recognize the name? Carl Benz developed a petrol-gasoline Powered uh, or gasoline-powered automobile And this is also considered to be the first production vehicle as Benz made several other identical identical copies. That thing is crazy looking, right? Finally, finally, it wasn't until 1913 that the Ford Model T was created by Ford Motor Company five years prior became the first automobile to be mass-produced on a moving assembly line By 1927, Ford had produced over 15 million Model T automobiles. So yes, the car is forever changing and improving, but to say the car began in 1913 with the Ford Model T is an incorrect statement. We can be sincere, but we can be sincerely wrong at the same time. So just because we are growing and maturing as believers doesn't mean we are still being made holy or sanctified. I'll say that again. Just because we are growing or maturing as believers doesn't mean we are still being made holy or sanctified. So when are we holy? Let me try and answer it. I'm going to give you one verse. There's tons of verses that I could use to back this up. But the next verse basically is God speaking through Paul. It's in Acts 26.18. It's in the New American Standard Bible. But that's Acts 26.18. It says, To open their eyes so that they may turn From darkness to light from the dominion of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me so those who have been sanctified those who have been made holy by faith in me look at your neighbor I know we're going to do social distancing but look at your neighbor and say I have been or no I'm a have-been say I'm a have-been Now point at your other neighbor and say, you're a have-been. There you go. Acts 26, 18. Acts 26, 18. It's the same verse, just a different translation. It says, those who have been made holy by believing in me. And as the old hillbilly would say, if we have been, then we is. If we have been, then we is. I know that's not correct grammar or correct wording. But if we have been, then we are. If we have been, then we are. Um, If we've been made holy, then holiness is not something we need to work on. In fact, the word made takes us out of the equation. We are not part of the process. Did you guys hear me? We are not part of the process. That's good news. We are a result of the process that took place already. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. When did holiness happen? When our eyes were opened, when they turned from darkness to light. The next part, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. When did we become holy? When we received forgiveness of sins. You don't take forgiveness. Have we ever taken forgiveness? You don't make forgiveness. That would be weird to make forgiveness. Okay? You receive forgiveness an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. If you have received forgiveness of sins, you have been sanctified. Pretty simple, right? This verse sums a lot of things up. Um, Received forgiveness of sins happened at the same time as being sanctified in holiness. Sanctified in holiness happened at the same time that we received forgiveness of sins. All right? All right. So sanctification or holiness is a byproduct of forgiveness of sins. So basically, if you were to take a uh, bottle of holiness or a bottle of sanctification, you would look on the back, you would see forgiveness of sins. Flip it around. If you were to see forgiveness of sins on a bottle, you would flip it around. You'd see the ingredient said holiness or sanctification, okay? When we take one, we take the other. When we take the other, we take one. Does that make sense? So when it, when is so important because if you think you are headed towards something that you have already passed, you can go a lot longer than you should have. If you think, right, I'll say that again. I'm I'm going a little fast. If you think that you're headed towards something that you have already passed, then you can go way longer than you already should have. I'll explain. So you to live out in Arizona, right? My cousin would come out and visit and uh, we would go exploring. And I remember um, one time heading up Uh, the mountains, so we're 6,000 feet, I'll explain the scenario, we're 6,000 feet above sea level in Arizona. You guys ever been to Arizona in here? Um, 6,000 feet above sea level, okay? We're in an area called Prescott, Arizona, which is gorgeous, okay? It's beautiful snow, um, all sorts of, all the seasons pretty much, we'd see fall, Um, but I remember we're like, hey, we're going to go discovering, and up there, it's really neat because it's the west, and you have caves and mining towns and all that stuff, and my cousin had never seen that so what do i do i load up in our two-wheel drive toyota corolla small toyota corolla and i say we're going to hit the road and we're going to go see some caves in the middle of winter okay and so we start heading up these hills um, and they're pretty treacherous and then we see this town right but because there's snow on the ground it's the mining town, because, I, you know, you see the little mining town, but because there's so much snow, I miss the cave, okay? So I keep driving, and I keep driving, and I keep driving, and I drive a little bit more to the point that I was going down this hill, right, and I get stuck at the bottom, okay? I can't go up. I can't go back. I can't do anything. It's a one-way road. Well, this ATV started coming around down and starts looking, and then he's coming down the hill. Well, he can stop. He's got four-wheel drive. It's all-wheel vehicle and he just puts his hands up like what are you going to do now and so the only thing I know to do is we got to flip this car around try and at least go back the hill that we came down and so me and my cousin hop out of the car he he hops on the back I hop on the front and we literally spin the vehicle 180 degrees on the ice okay and we're leaning over a hill that we could literally fall and die um (laughs) we spin it and we scratched that Corolla up so bad, trying to turn it around, right? And the good news was, it was wintertime, and so there was snow all over the car. So my wife didn't know till the spring, so when she goes to ask me, Matt, where did all these scratches come from? I'd be like, I don't know, you gotta start driving better, kind of thing, you know? <laughs> so, we finally spun our way back up the hill, and. We saw the cave on the way back, but because we were so disappointed with our experience, we're like, forget the cave. We're just going home. Excuse me. That's so, funny. so what I'm trying to say out of that is sometimes if you pass the destination, you can experience a lot more work and effort and pain if you didn't realize, hey, it's way back there. And that's how holiness and sanctification are. If we've already passed the destination, what are we working so hard to attain, Right? Um, so in this story, we've already arrived at the destination, but I got into all sorts of Macedon, Macedon dung trying to figure out my own way when really I'd already passed the destination miles ago. Holiness is not something we are trying to become. It is a place we are working from. Holiness is not a, uh, something we are trying to become. It is a place we are working from. Okay, we all went through quarantine recently, right? That was a good time. Um, so when I would Call right call the boss and say hey, I'm going to work from home I'm not trying to work from home. I'm not striving to work from home I'm not kicking to work from home. I'm not screaming or looking or hoping or heading towards working home I am already there. All right. I'm already home. So when when do we receive holiness when we receive forgiveness of sins, No, don't keep striving for holiness. Just walk in it. See, for a lot of years, a lot of years, I was given fossils like these, scriptures like these that I'm talking about by good-meaning people who told me it's not enough to just receive forgiveness of sin, that just but that's just the starting line, Matt, okay? Now that you receive forgiveness, you got to maintain that holiness. you got to read scripture to be able to transform yourself to the point that you look just like Jesus, where you know the scriptures, was it was at Matthew 540, where it says, be perfect as I am perfect, not realizing that that word perfect means whole and complete, and recognizing that I already am whole and I already am complete. And therefore, for a long journey, was I trying to reach for that holiness? Was I trying to strive for it? Was I trying to strive to become perfect as he is perfect? That's ludicrous, y'all, to think that we could make ourselves that way. Amen. That's a journey that I don't ever want to be on again. And I hope that as many people as I know, we can all realize that we've already arrived. We're already there. We're not, we're not going towards something. So can I can I tell you that's an impossible task to strive for holiness? Why? Because of scriptures like as he is, so are we in this world. We can't be any more holy than we already are. I'm going to say something that I would have never said years ago, but it's something I absolutely believe today. We are at the pinnacle of our holiness because as he is, so are we. That's why we can say things like, I have the mind of Christ. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And there is, there is therefore now no condemnation to those which are in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Paul said, in him we live and move and have our being. God couldn't live in us, and we couldn't live in him if we weren't already holy. Did you guys hear me? Yeah. God could not live in us, and we couldn't live in him if we were not already holy. He wouldn't, make him his, uh, he wouldn't make his home in a halfway house. Amen. That's he wants to make sure that we're complete, that we're whole. Yeah. And he did that at the moment that we received forgiveness. Mm-hmm. We can't get any more holy. Good news, we can't get any, any less holy as well. Let me pray for you guys, and we're going to go. Father, we thank you, God, for today. God, we thank you, God, that we can't <laughs> attain holiness, God. And I thank you, God, for helping us to understand that, helping us to understand that we are already complete. We are working from a place of destination, God. We're not striving. We're not reaching towards becoming more like You, God. We already are made like You, and therefore that affects our behavior. That affects our whole life. That affects everything that we do, God. And I thank You, God, for each one that's in here, God, that we're re- remembering those things, God, that we keep those at the forefront of our mind, that we're studying to show ourselves that we're approved already, God. We're not trying to become approved, God. That we're already approved in You, and I thank You, God, for setting us apart for making us holy at the moment that we receive forgiveness. You're such a good God, and we thank you, God, for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.